Good morning. I want to first of all say to the praise team here how much I appreciate them. Appreciate them. Amen. It's good to worship. I just love to be in the back and worship. Sometimes I forget I'm supposed to come up here. But anyway, just love the worship. Good to see you today. If you have your bulletin, I want to encourage you to get out your sermon notes. There'll be some blanks to fill in. And what I discovered in the first service is I'm not going to finish today. All right? So my, my assignment was to do Hebrews 13, and I'm going to do the first four verses. All right? So pray for me. Next week, we're going to finish up Hebrews 13. So since I'm the last one on the docket, I'm going to take two Sundays. All right? But anyway, great to see you. I want to first of all to say how much I appreciate everyone. I appreciate your prayers. A week ago, Friday, had a, what they call a mini stroke. I don't know. If I, I, unfortunately or fortunately, I was with... Uh, my daughter, Courtney, and her husband, Jason, and they knew something was wrong. I have about a three to five minute where something just isn't right, and they happened to be sitting across the table. They knew something was wrong, and within a few minutes, everything was back to normal, and they said Friday, a week ago Friday night, we need to take you down to the hospital, and, uh, but I had no numbness. I was literally back to normal, whatever normal is, and I, but I had a funeral the next day. I said, I cannot miss that funeral. I said, I'll go after the funeral. And so if you came to Brother Larry Davis's funeral, somebody said, man, you had such an urgency when you preached that funeral. Honestly, I thought this might be my last service. I, mean, I gave it everything I had. Went to the hospital and they did a couple CAT scans on my neck and my head and they said they could find nothing. And somebody, and I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Somebody said, thank God they checked that part, all right, because we know there's not much up there. But anyway, uh, four or five doctors said there's no sign of a stroke, so they call that's probably a TIA, a mini stroke of some sort, and so anyway, so I'm following through, I feel good, I feel back to 100%, whatever that is. I tell people, hey, I'm going to give it 100% as long as God gives me breath. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to preach. I love my church family. There's no place on earth I'd rather be than right here. So I just really appreciate all the prayers. Yeah. So anyway, last Sunday morning, I happened to be at the hospital, and so they wanted to keep me overnight. And by the way, if you're ever praying for an expensive room away from home, be really specific, all right? Be really specific. So anyway, uh, anyway, I love the people down at St. Clair. I mean, all hospitals, but I, I just happened to go to St. Clair. Those people were phenomenal. I had a great time with all of them in the emergency room, all the way up to our nurse and doctors. I, I just love to interact with them, encourage them. And, and they're, just, they're just under a lot of stress, our, our, our uh, first aid workers, our nurses, doctors. So really just pray for them, be kind to them. But uh, I was under the best of care. So thank you guys. Uh, for all the concern, it means a lot. So uh, we're going to partially finish today. We're going to really finish next week. But uh, the question that comes up over and over in the book of Hebrews is Jesus enough? You know, in the craziness of life and everything we're going through, is Jesus enough? And I think the writer of Hebrews is saying yes. Because they, they were, he was writing to an audience that was really under tremendous persecution. I mean, to be a Christian in this day meant a loss of job, meant persecution, imprisonment. I mean, it really cost them something to follow Jesus. And undoubtedly, they were asking themselves, is it enough? And the writer, I believe, is saying yes. 
And so, I mean, how relevant could a book of the Bible be in all the craziness we're facing in our country? You say, how, what are we going to do? We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus and know that Jesus is enough. God has everything under control, and we need to remain faithful to God. So the verse we've been kind of springboarding off by the writer's own admission, he calls this letter a letter of encouragement. Let's read together. I said at the 8 o'clock the last time. We're going to do it next week one more time. But Hebrews 13, 22, let's read together. I call on you, brothers and sisters, listen patiently to this message of exhortation and encouragement, for I have written to you briefly. And so he calls the letter a letter of encouragement. We need encouragement. You know, when I was at the hospital, I could just tell those workers were stressed out. I asked the one nurse, who was kind of my main nurse, I said, are you guys understaffed and overworked? And she said, I can't say, I can't say. <laughs> and then she walked out. I just wanted, I mean, what an opportunity. So my, what I felt like, I was a foreign missionary down there my goal was to really build up and encourage everybody who worked with me and just let them know how much I appreciate them. I tried to intermingle, kind of joke with them a little bit, and just remind them how special they were. When they were getting ready to let me out, uh, my particular nurse that I had both Saturday and Sunday, I just said to her, and I, I razzed her probably more than I should, but when I got ready to leave, I just said, hey, I, I really do appreciate you, and is it possible for my wife and I to pray for you. And so we went over and just prayed for her. And I said, I, I just pray that God will reward you and enrich you for all that you do for others. I really appreciate everything you've done. So, you know, everywhere we go, we have a chance to make a difference. And so hopefully we take those opportunities. One of the things that's really helped me in the book of Hebrews, again, the writer's saying, burn all the bridges behind us. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to Judaism, which would have been so easy to do because Judaism was recognized by the Roman government. But to be a Christian literally meant tough times. But the writer says, stay faithful, stay faithful. And so one of the things I appreciate about the book of Hebrews, he says in chapter 10 that the law is merely a shadow of Christ, but the substance is Christ. And one of the things that's helped me understand that every time you see a shadow you know there's a substance, right? Because there has to be a substance in order for there to be a shadow. And so the shadow reminds us there's a substance. And this is one more time I want to kind of cram in a picture of my grandson. I know it's pathetic. It's very pathetic. <laughs> so I had my daughter take Red out and hold him, you know, and just carefully hold him so we could get a shadow. And uh, he was just very chilled about it. But anyway, every time you see a shadow, you know there's a substance. And the writer is saying that the Old Testament is merely a shadow of the substance of Christ. So every time you study the Old Testament, I want you to know whether it's Moses, the prophets, or the Psalms, everything points to Jesus. So it's not bad to study the Old Testament because the Old Testament always, 100% of the time, points you to Christ. But once Christ comes, why would you want to go back and live under the shadow? The writer's saying, you have the substance. You have everything God's ever wanted to give you. The whole Old Testament, the Old Covenant, pointed to Jesus. I love how Paul says in Colossians 2.10, you are complete in Christ. There is nothing better God's going to do. There is not going to be a third covenant. There were two covenants, the Old Covenant 
the new covenant. The first covenant or the last covenant, no matter how you say it. So the law, the prophets, the angels, and the Old Testament were all part of the shadow. And again, the shadow is good. The shadow means what? There's a substance. And I love how Paul says in Colossians 2, the substance is Christ. And once we have Christ, again, we don't need to go back and live under the shadow. And so as we've talked about, our Bible's made up of two testaments or two covenants. What we call the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. It's how God operated under the Old Covenant. The New Testament or the New Covenant is that what we call the 27 books beginning with Matthew forward that talk about the New Covenant that God has made with man. So there's been two covenants. The Old Covenant, the New Covenant are the first covenant and the last covenant. No more covenants that God is going to make, all right? And so under the Old Covenant, just to summarize, God was always at a distance. God was always somewhere that could not be accessible to mankind. Not because God didn't want to be close. God wanted to be close, but sin was a problem. And so God came and dwelt in the tabernacle. And even though he dwelt in the middle of the children of Israel, there was still a distance between God and the people. Not because he didn't want to be close, but because of the sin problem. The sin problem always kept God at a distance, and man was not allowed access to God. And so he was always at a distance, even though they sacrificed thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices. All of those blood sacrifices could never take away the sin problem. They seemed to cover it up until the next sacrifice. But again, the reason they had to continually offer up sacrifices is because none of those blood sacrifices took care of sin. But under the new covenant, Jesus died. He was the one sacrifice that took care of the sin problem. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. All the tens of thousands of animal sacrifices could never take care of sin. But Jesus, with his one sacrifice forever, has taken care of the sin problem. God has chosen to forgive and to forget. And so what was impossible under the old covenant, access to God was always denied. Only the high priest could go in his presence, and that only once a year. Under the new covenant, once Jesus died, the Bible says he bore our sin in his body. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And what was denied under the old covenant is accessible under the new covenant. We can go to God 24-7 because the sin problem has been taken care of. Man, the Old Testament saints would look at us and say, I just cannot believe. I cannot believe that you can go into God's presence 24-7. You have complete access to God because that one sacrifice forever has taken care of the sin problem. I want to tell you, you're somebody under the new covenant. You have access to God. I hope that every day you realize how important it is. And and I love how the writer of Hebrews says, we can come boldly into his presence. We don't have to fear God. We can literally come boldly into his presence. And so when the writer of Hebrews gets to chapter 13, he knows he's running out of time and he's got to throw in all these final thoughts. And so chapter 13 is a lot of scattered thoughts that he's trying to get in before he closes the letter. I kind of compare Hebrews 13 to a cross-eyed discus thrower. 
And he just kind of all over the place. How many of you have ever heard a pastor just kind of go all over the place? All right, just kind of chasing rabbits, chasing rabbits, chasing squirrels. Well, Hebrews 13, the writer just throws out all these random thoughts. He covers things like brotherly love. He covers our lifestyle, our conduct, generosity. He gives some instructions. He talks about marriage. He talks about things to remember. He talks about contentment. A lot of random thoughts. And so he's just throwing out all these thoughts. What he's saying is, under the new covenant, how do we in a practical way live out the Christian life? He's given us doctrinally that we have access to God, we can live in God's presence, but how does that affect our everyday life? So chapter 13 is just some practical advice of how to live out the Christian life. I love the story of the Sunday school teacher that was talking to her class about how important it was to have Jesus in their heart. How many of you have ever heard someone say, you need to invite Jesus into your heart? I mean, we say that. And so this little boy is listening to that, and he raises his hand. He asks the Sunday school teacher, teacher, how tall was Jesus? He said, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's 5'8", 5'10", I'm not really sure. The little boy raised his hand again and said, teacher, how much did Jesus weigh? I, I don't know, maybe 160, 70, 180, I'm not sure. He said, why are you asking? The little boy looked up at the teacher and said, teacher, if we're to invite Jesus into our heart, part of him is going to stick out. <laughs> and can I tell you, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in chapter 13. If you truly are born again, a part of Jesus is going to stick out of your life. It's impossible to be an undercover Christian. Part of Jesus is going to stick out. Part of Jesus is going to affect your everyday life. And that's what we're going to talk about today and next Sunday we're going to end on. So first of all, he says in verse 1, let brotherly love continue. One of the ways that Jesus sticks out of our life is in our relationship with each other. God wants us to love others in the body of Christ. How many of you know the body of Christ is not always lovable? How many of you have ever been frustrated at another believer? You guys are lying. <laughs> you guys are lying. I mean, we all, I mean, if you've been involved in church, you've been burnt. I mean, being in the body of Christ, I mean, we're, we're a lot of imperfect people that God throws together. How many of you think God has a sense of humor when he puts us all together? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've shared different times. I know my wife was at a garage sale several years ago, and they got to talking about church, and the lady at the garage sale asked my wife, where do you go to church? And she says, I go down to the ridge in Villa Ridge. And the lady said to my wife, isn't that the church that has the crazy preacher? And she said, yes, it is. And then she didn't say anything else. Yes, it is. So anyway, you're welcome to use it. I mean, it's okay. If, if anything, if you come here very often, you're going to know I'm not the best preacher in town. I mean, you could hear a lot better preaching at home. I said that one time. I, I love, uh, back in the day, I'm trying to think of his name now, uh, Ed Young. Remember, if you, how many remember Ed Young? Ed was just awesome. Ed would just say what he's thinking, which is not always good. But Ed would stand in the back, and I'd said one time, man, you could hear a lot better preaching at home. Ed hollered out, you're not lying there, brother. I said, Ed, not right now, baby, not right now. But the truth is, you could hear some amazing preaching at home. Why do we come together? Because God designed this thing where we need each other. 
God wants us to love each other in the body of Christ. And I just want to remind you that part of this journey, Jesus should stick out in your relationship to other believers. I mean, you're going to find yourself loving people that aren't always lovable, and that's, that's the love of God shining through your life. That word love there, and you know that there are various words for love in the New Testament. This particular word uh, is, is uh, translated correctly. It's the word phileo, or we get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love and our kindness. It's used also in Romans 12 there, 1 Thessalonians and 1 Peter. So in Romans it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. 1 Thessalonians, you are taught by God to love one another. And then in 1 Peter, sincere love with a pure heart. You know, part of this journey is just loving each other in the body of Christ. Can I tell you, there's no place I would rather be on Sunday than here. Even when we're on vacation, I, just, I would rather come back here, hear one of our guys preach and be around you guys. I, I, I enjoy coming to church. I enjoy being around God's people. And I think God puts that in our hearts. So part of him sticking out of our life is the fact that we begin to love each other, even though we're not always lovable. Paul says in Galatians 5, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, really, the essence of the Bible is that God loved us, and his love should come through us, and we're going to find ourselves loving each other in the body of Christ. You're going to find yourself going to church, even though the church doesn't think like you. How many of you are surprised when everybody doesn't like your ideas? I used to be really surprised early in my ministry to find out there are people that don't like me. How many of you find that hard to believe? I mean, it seems shocking. But you know, God is teaching us that we need to love everybody in the body of Christ. That we need to let his love shine through. And again, it all comes down to really loving our neighbor as ourselves. Very, very important. Jesus demonstrated, I think, his love by just washing the disciples' feet. Now, you think about the God of the universe. They should have been washing his feet. But one of the last things he gave his disciples, he wanted to demonstrate a simple act of love by giving back to them. And he got down to wash the disciples' feet. I cannot imagine the God of this universe being willing to humble himself to wash the feet of his disciples. And he said to his disciples, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Now, I don't know that God physically wants us to wash each other's feet because we don't wear sandals. But I think we need to humble ourselves to the point that we're willing to do whatever it takes to serve our brothers and sisters. We're to humble ourselves. And a couple of weeks ago, I got a chance to be at Super Summer. How many of you have ever been to Super Summer? It's kind of a ginormous youth camp. We have two in our state, one at Hannibal and one at Bolivar. I was uh, fortunate enough to go to Bolivar. And over the Super Summer is our own Bob Caldwell. He has a great heart for those kids. Even though he just turned 60, he's an old man. But he loves kids. How many of you know kids know the heart? They know somebody that loves them, and Bob loves those kids. And so they met with the teachers. They were going to have pastors teach this year. They normally have youth pastors. But this year they were going to have pastors. And so we met in Jeff City, and they were trying to decide who gets the 6th and 7th graders. So I, went, I, don't, I had them last year. 
Nobody wanted the 67th grade. And so Bob says, Roger, you take them. And can I tell you, if I were to pick one group, I would pick 6th, 7th graders. And I got to, the privilege of doing it with Jeff Scott, a good friend that pastors here in Franklin County. And so I love 6th and 7th graders because in Jewish culture, when you're 12 or 13, you move from childhood to adulthood. And so I knew that those kids could be challenged to take on spiritual responsibility. I was thrilled to get to 6th and 7th graders. And somebody says, man, that's awesome that you could bring it down to their level. I just want to tell you, I wasn't bringing anything down to their level. I was just talking. I am at their level. But anyway, there's one particular girl here. We had about 88 students and 10 college students. And so after we would teach, the college students would divide the kids up. They each had eight or ten kids that they took out, and they did a small group. So we had 88 students, 10 college students. But one of these students really stood out to me on the very first night, this girl here in the middle with the white cap. Her name was Kate. And the first night as I was sharing and just talking about surrendering who we are to God and that God could use our life. And all of these kids, by the way, pay good money to go to Super Summer. So they're not just kids that are forced to go there. Most of them have a heart for God. But only one, one of these students stood up when I said, if you would just stand and just say, God, I just want you to use my life. Now, I, I don't think there's anything spiritual and maybe people, that, but one girl stood up and guess who it was? It was Kate. She stood up, she was on about row number four, and she stood up alone, and then she kind of got to look around, nobody else was standing up. It seemed to be a little bit of an awkward moment, and about a minute or so later, other kids stood up. But from that first night, there was something about Kate standing alone before God, saying, God, I want you to use my life. This little girl, something about her just put a, a hook in my heart. And so the last time that I was with them, I told Jeff, I said, I, I, I just want to do something. I, 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 I challenge these kids to make a difference, man. I mean, every, every session, man, I poured out my heart saying, you guys can make a difference. And so I told Jeff, I want to do something. The last session, I want to just do something to remind them how important it is to serve the body of Christ. And so we were going to wash all the feet of the of the college students, but I picked out one of the students to represent all the students, and guess which student I picked out? Picked out Kate. I said, Kate, could I use you today? I said, I didn't tell her what it was. She said, yeah, and so I, we, we had all the college kids come up, and we had gone to Walmart and got the buckets, got everything we needed. I just want to say, without Walmart, I would not be able to do ministry, all right? But anyway, so we got the buckets, we had all the college kids get up on the stage, and they sat on stools, and I had Kate down on the very far right, and Jeff started at one side, I started at the other, and we had the privilege of getting down on our hands and knees, and we didn't wash, we, I didn't have them take their shoes off, but we just wiped their shoes, but you could hear a pin drop in that room, and I told these kids, you know, this may be the last time I ever see you. It's not about how many people serve you. It's not about how many titles you have. But really, greatness in the eyes of God is serving others. And I just want to encourage you to serve the body of Christ. I just want to say to you, the greatness of our church has nothing to do with what happens on Sunday. 
The greatness of our church has everything to do with what goes on through the week and the people who serve, and nobody knows anything about it. I came up here yesterday, we had a, a very small wedding, and so I came up here and there was a young man in our, in our church, probably most of you would not even know who it is. First name is Jay, but probably nobody would know who it is. But he comes up almost every Saturday, he gets the push mower out, and he push cuts these pieces of grass right out in front of the church. And then he gets out the weed eater, and he's weed-eating, and then he blows it all back. Every time I see him, I think to myself, that's greatness. Nobody knows. His name is never going to be in the bulletin. He's never going to be recognized. I just want to tell you, when you serve God, when you serve the body of Christ, God notices. And our church has an army of people who are serving behind the scenes. That is the greatness of our church. I tell everybody that. We have the greatest church on the planet. Because everybody's willing to pitch in. Everybody's willing to serve and not be recognized. I appreciate. I'm so thankful I got to have the 6th, 7th graders. By the way, at, at camp, you know what my nickname was at camp? Grandpa. And I thought I was, I was moving around good. I thought I was youthful. They all called me Grandpa. One of the college students wrote me a note when I, when I left. She gave me a note and she said, my grandfather passed away a few months ago and I, there's been such a void in my life. And she said, I just want you to know this week you've filled that void. That meant a lot. So you all got Grandpa as a pastor. All right? Love those kids. I love those kids. What an honor to be able to encourage these young people. So part of Jesus sticking out will show up in, in, in loving the brother. He's going to stick out. If you're a Christian, it's impossible to hide it. It's going to stick out, and you're going to find yourself serving the body of Christ. Second thing is, not only is our love going to show for the brothers, but we're going to give back along the journey. He says in verse 2, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing, some have unknowingly entertained angels. You know, this journey we're on, part of it is giving back to people who can never repay that kindness. Now, I know that sometimes we invite people over to our house, and then they invite us over to their house, and then we invite them back to our house, and then they invite us back to their house, and that's okay. It really is okay. But Jesus said, when you give a feast... Why not invite people who can never pay you back? Because your reward will be in heaven. You know, part of Jesus sticking out of our life is giving to people who can never pay us back. And I hope that as you go through your journey, that you'll allow God to just flow through you and to give to someone who literally could never, ever pay you back. And so, again, sometimes God will put an angel in our path that looks like somebody in need, and you, by the way, you say, you know, who, what does an angel look like? He doesn't look like this, all right? But it really, we, we don't know. I mean, it says unknowingly, we don't know. But Billy Graham wrote a book several years ago called Angels. I, matter of fact, the first copy I have says, Angels, Angels, Angels. How many of you have ever read Billy Graham book? 
And so one of the stories he shares in here, and kind of on the inside cover, says this book underscores the clear biblical message that angels do exist, and what's more, they are here to help us in our earthly struggles. And one of the stories he gives is of a doctor, Dr. Mitchell, in Philadelphia, and he was a neurologist. He came home one day, and he was just exhausted, and he went to bed, and he was just, it was a wintry storm out, and he was just physically drained. And as soon as he got in bed, he heard a, a bang on his door. And when he got up, even though he was tired, he got up, he went to the door. There was like a 12-year-old girl dressed very poorly. And she said to the doctor, my mom is at the point of death. She really needs to see you. And even though he was physically drained, he got his clothes on. He followed the little girl. She took him to her mom. And when he went in there, her mom was at the point of death. She took, he took care of her mom, got her ready to go to the hospital. And he said to the woman, he said, I just want to tell you, you have an amazing daughter. I just want to tell you how crazy amazing your daughter is. And because of her persistence, I'm here tonight. And she looked up kind of puzzled. And she said to the doctor, my daughter died about a month ago. He said her clothes are in the closet there. And he went over and he opened the closet door and there was the very coat this young girl was wearing, but it was completely dry. Now, was that an angel? Don't know. But I believe God sends angels unaware. And so as we go through our life, I just want to encourage you to take time to give back. Someone has said you can't go through life with a catcher's mitt on both hands you got to give something back. And so I want to encourage you, as we go through our daily life, if God gives us an opportunity to share and to give to someone, I hope that we can find someone that can never pay us back. Because I believe, again, I love how Jesus says in Matthew 25, as often as you have done it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. There is no doubt in my mind that if we saw Jesus on the side of the road, 100% of us would stop and help him, no doubt. But Jesus said, as often as you have done it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. Now, I want to be really clear here. Everybody who holds a sign saying, we'll work for food, is not in need. If I'm being real honest, probably 95% of them are not in need. I'm not telling you to stop at everybody that has a cardboard sign. But I'm telling you, as you walk in the Spirit, God will sometimes put somebody on your heart that you can reach out and help that, again, will never, ever be able to repay you, but God sees. Part of Jesus sticking out of our life is giving to people who can never pay us back. Third thing he says here, not only should Jesus stick out in our love for the brother, not only should Jesus stick out in our willingness to give to those who are in need, he says here in uh, verse 3, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourself are in the body also. You know, many Christians, because they are Christians, they were put in prison. And it kind of presented a dilemma, because if you identified with those in prison as Christians, that would maybe mean you too would go to prison. So it was kind of tricky there, but the writer of Hebrews says, hey, don't write off those in prison. Identify with people in prison. And I just want to say that I am thankful that, Ron, we have several people who are involved in jail ministry. 
And some are involved in prison ministry. And I just want to tell you, it's easy to write off people in county jail and prison and write them off. But God says, remember those in prison. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 25, one of the things Jesus said was, I was in prison and you came to visit me. I think the love of God will reach beyond the iron bars and reach into those people who need Jesus. By the way, one of the funny stories... Several years ago, we had a member of our church, he, was, he had gone through a divorce and he was paying child support. He got a little behind in his child support. He worked something out with his ex-wife, but she decided to turn him in and they took him to county jail. I mean, he was an everyday, ordinary guy who had never seen the inside of a jail. 45 years old or so, and they put him in Franklin County Jail. And so they asked, and I talked to his family, I went to see him. And I was very fortunate. They were very gracious to let me go in and see him. And so I went in and talked to him. I said, how are things inside here? He goes, it is terrible. They got me in a pod. I'm 40-something years old. Everybody in my pod are, are young 20s. And guess who they're picking on? The old man. I mean, they're just picking on him relentlessly. And so, man, I prayed for him. I tried to encourage him. And he went back, you know, we had our time, he had to go back. And so he got out a few days later, and I, I met with him and talked with him. I said, how did things go your last few days there? He said, you will never believe it. He said, when I came down to see you, and when I went back to the pod, the one that was the ringleader, the young guy that was really, really mean to me and kind of running everything in the pod, he said to me, where'd you go? He said, well, I, somebody came to see me, and so I, I he said, who was it? He goes, well, it was, it was a pastor of a church that I attend. He said, what pastor? He goes, well, it was a pastor of the Ridge. I, I attend the Ridge. He goes, was it Roger Johnson? He goes, I went there. He was one of my disciples. He ended up in prison, the young guy. He said, I, I know Roger. I, I went to church there. And he said to me, when the guy found out I went to the Ridge and I knew you, he said, all of a sudden, his demeanor changed, and he never picked on me another time. So if you get thrown in county jail, <laughs> throw my name, I don't know. It may be somebody that I discipled in there. I don't know. But how funny is that? But you know, God is faithful. No matter where we are, we just need to share Jesus. We need to remember those in prison. And you're never wasting your time reaching out to the least of these on this side. Finally, my last point, and this is only verse 4, all right? I didn't make it very far. Verse 4, it says, Marriage is honorable among all, the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Can I tell you one of the places we need Jesus to stick out of our life is in our marriage. I believe Jesus will stick out in our love for the brother, I think Jesus will stick out as we reach out to those who are down and out and should have compassion for those in prison. But I believe more than anything else, Jesus should stick out in the four walls of our home. I don't say enough how much Brenda means to me. I, I know in heaven, I have no doubt in heaven, if you see somebody walking in heaven with a ginormous crown bent over, it's probably my wife. I cannot tell you, as I think about being here today, obviously, without Jesus, I would not be here today. 
But the second person I owe the most to is my wife. When she said for better or worse, she had no idea what she was saying. I can't tell you how amazing she is. And over the years, my 43 years in ministry, she has never one time, I cannot remember one time where she's ever been bitter about me being taken away from ministry. I can't tell you how many times over the years we've gone on a date, sometimes an anniversary date, and we made a hospital visit and we went by the funeral home before we went out to eat. And she's never complained. As a matter of fact, sometimes she's the one nudging me. You know, I, I think we ought to make that visit before we, we go out and eat. Sometimes I'll come home and I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm just drained. And she said, you know what? You probably ought to call so-and-so, see how they're doing. And I know it's God. I mean, she just always has a heart for ministry. She's never once thought about divorce. Murder several times. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate my wife. You can't make it in life without the support of your spouse. Matter of fact, and even though they go unnoticed for the most part, I can tell you firsthand, you got to have a strong spouse. And I know people say to me, you know, I could be more spiritual if it wasn't for my spouse. You know, God put our spouse in our life. Can I tell you who the, the person that's most honorary in our family? It's me. And sometimes Brenda will be my heavenly sandpaper to rub me the wrong way, to bring out something that's been there all along. It just comes out. We need a revival in our homes. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I don't care how loud you shout on Sunday. If Jesus isn't sticking out in the four walls of your home, something's missing. So I want to publicly say how much I appreciate my wife. You know, there's so much perversion. We live in a country where there is so much perversion. And the writer's saying any kind of sexual relationship outside of the bonds of marriage is sin. And people say to me, well, pastor, everybody's doing it. First of all, everybody is not doing it. And even if there were a lot of people doing it, it's still wrong. And even though our country has redefined marriage, and we're doing everything we can with redefined marriage, I want to stand and say what I believe is very clear in the Bible. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. I, I, without apology, I believe the definition of a family... Is one man, one woman joined together in marriage. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's not easy. I want to tell you, your spouse, other than Jesus, your spouse is the most important person in your life. Matter of fact, if your spouse is here, and if you're sitting by him, hold hands with him just for a minute. Somebody slipped me a 20 and said, is there any way we could hold hands? I said, I'll, I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen. So grab your spouse's hand. You know, when we were leaving the hospital, and 
uh, last Sunday, I jokingly said to Rachel, I think, was her name Rachel? I think it was Rachel. I said to Rachel, is there any way you could write on the dismissal papers that I need breakfast in bed for six months? I need back rubs and foot rubs, and, and could you just spoil me? Could you write that on my dismissal papers? And it was a woman, of course, I was saying that to and she said, no. And she wrote on my dismissal paper, she wrote in big, bold letters, be kind to your wife. That was good advice, by the way. And right after that, Brent and I got to go over and lay hands on her and pray for her. We are so blessed. Can I tell you, I love this church. People ask me, are you going to retire? I have no plans to retire. I just want to, I just want to, I just want to refire. And every time God gives me breath, man, I hope every time I get in front of people, I passionately say, we don't know how much time we have. And these earth suits are wearing out. But we want to serve God every minute that he gives us. And so I hope this week, by the way, we're not having a normal Wednesday night service. We're having... Uh, St. Louis Project, so we'll have about 300 youth in here. If you want to come and sit up in the balcony, you're welcome to come. Just know your clothes will vibrate. All right, just know that. And I don't want you to call me later and say, Pastor, that music was too loud. Too loud. I just want to remind you, everything in heaven is going to be loud. So we'll probably have to go through a study course on how to accept loud. But it's going to be fun. Pray for us this week. Pray for Bob as he leads out. Bob has, again, a great heart for kids. When he was up at Hannibal the week before Bolivar, uh, he called me. We were talking about something, and I heard the kids in the background. There was a bunch of kids in the background, and they love Bob. And all the kids were singing, Bob, 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 Barin. I'm going, how do they know the Beach Boys? But they were singing Bob, Barin because it had Bob's name in it, and they were kind of mocking Bob, and Bob loved it. Bob loved it. So it's not, that's not in your hymn book, by the way, Bob. The kids love Bob. So pray this week. The last thing we want to do is just go through the motions. But hopefully these kids discover who they are in Christ. And hopefully they can let Jesus stick out of their life and make a difference everywhere they go. I love you guys. Let's stand together. How many of you are glad I didn't preach the whole chapter? I got the whole chapter up there. I'm going to cut it off right here on verse 4. Next week, God willing, we're going to try to finish chapter 13. It may turn into a series. I don't know. Love you guys. Let me pray for you. Let's just take a moment as they play softly. If you're here today, you just need someone to pray with you or pray for you. We want to do that. I know all of us have struggles and needs. All of us, again, that question, is Jesus enough? And I want to say yes. Whatever you're going through, Jesus is enough to get you through. Would you just kind of build an altar right where you are? And would you ask God to fill you with the spirit that part of Jesus would stick out of your life this week? May it begin in our home. May it extend out to our church family and to others in need. But would you just pray right where you are that Jesus would stick out of your life this week?
I know we have one decision we're going to share here. I'm going to let Raymond share. Are they here? I'm going to grab a mic here. It's HH3, I believe. We'll see if we're on. I think so. Justin and uh, McKinley Brandt, they've been coming for a long time now. It seemed like a long time. And by the way, they come, they've been saved, they've been baptized. They want to plug into our church and be a part of our church. I want to say they're outnumbered because they got one seven, one four, and one three. So you guys are in the minority. I'm going to root for them though. All right. Amen. Let's give them a round of applause. I, I didn't talk to you guys ahead of time. Is there anything you guys want to share? No. No, okay. It's, it's good. So if you guys don't mind, if you want to meet me in the back and I'll let everybody officially get a chance to greet you there. I want to pray for you. We're going to close out with a song. Hope you have an amazing week. Pray for what's going on here this week. Again, it's going to be crazy. 300 kids here. It's going to be crazy on steroids, especially with Bob in charge. All right, He is the ultimate disc, uh, cross-eyed discus thrower. It just comes every which way, but it all comes together. That's how God works. All right. So anyway, I love a shirt. Uh, Ed Lewis our church he gave me a shirt that said again live your life so the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral all right so i'm going to say something nice but i'd rather say the truth and let's just so live for jesus that it's easy to share and when it's all said and done what the church says about me is important but what my wife says and what my kids say about me are most important I know they're going to say he wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes. But let's pray that Jesus would shine out of our life this week. Father, fill us with your spirit. I pray that Jesus would stick out in our love for our brothers, our willingness to give to the least of these. That, Father, we would remember those in prison. And Father, that within the four walls of our home, that our marriage would be Christ-centered. So fill us, empower us to make a difference as we head out of here today. In Jesus' name.